0: Well, folks, you know you're in for a treat when you hear that tune because it's time for another week of the Rec Poker Podcast. This is the forums edition, where we take a post from the Rec Poker forums and talk about it here on the air. Uh, the forums are just one of the many three amazing ways that you can get involved with Rec Poker. Come and celebrate uh, your wins with us. Come and commiserate your losses. We like to study together. We like to play together. We like to hang out together. Uh, Most of what we do is free. Like I say, it's a largely volunteer-based organization, which is why I have to thank our sponsors, the Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino. And I have to thank our Wrecking Crew members because... Uh, my name is Jim Reed. I'm wreck poker Jim in uh, Twitter and Bluff Sturini in the home game. And you hear my voice a lot because they let me host the podcast on Mondays. But I am just one of the crew members that make up the wrecking crew. Uh, it takes a whole host of poker enthusiasts to come and make the magic happen here at wreck poker uh, every week. If you want to become a premium member, all it takes is $15 a month and you can get your first month for only $5 using code WreckPoker. And that unlocks all sorts of amazing training material and even more fun social events and that kind of thing. Um, Easy access, first access to a bunch of things, great prizes you can only get as a premium member. And all that happens because of the folks on the Wrecking Crew. Uh, so if you want to find out more about me and the other members of the Wrecking crew, you can go to
1: rec.poker slash crew, or you can just listen up because you're going to meet a few of them here tonight. I'm Chris Jones. You can find me 5B5 on Twitter or 5x5 in the Poker Stars home game. And I'm Rob Washam, and you can find me as Rabman50 just about
2: everywhere.
3: I'm Taylor Moss. I'm on Twitter as at Taylor underscore Moss, and in the rec poker home game Gopher Boy TJM.
0: So it's Monday night. We're all uh, playing against each other in the home game club. Uh, John Somsky runs these fantastic home games. We do 10 every week, a uh, mix of no limit, hold them, and mixed games. It's uh, super fun. It's free to play. There's real prizes. Come check us out. Uh, we're getting into a post. Like I said, we are going to be working with the free forums here at Rec Poker tonight. We're looking at a post from Mikey Aces. And this post opens with something I love to see at the start of a post in our forums. It's a comment from Mikey Ace's saying, "Hey, Rec Poker community, long-time listener, first-time poster, wondering if you could give a bit of feedback for this situation." So I just want to say thank you, Mikey, for posting and for getting more involved in Rec Poker and for opening yourself up. You know, you got in order to learn if you want to make the most out of it, uh, you got to put yourself out there and share some areas where you're not certain about being correct you know some questions uh no one gets better without asking questions of other people so we like to get better together and the forums are a fantastic place to do it so mikey's brought us uh, a post here where he's holding 10 10 in a tough spot so he's playing 150 and fifty-dollar deep stack there's 226 entries the top 24 get paid at this point there's 37 remaining at this stage, tables are breaking frequently, several new players at our table. Average stack is somewhere around 85 or 90K and 20 minute blind, so it feels more like a turbo-ish structure. Uh, our hero, Mikey Aces, is sitting in the small blind with about 12.5 big blinds. The action folds around to the villain in the hijack who opens to 12,000. The cutoff on the button fold this player's been at the table for about an orbit, doesn't seem to be incredibly tight or loose and has about one hundred and twenty thousand in their stack, uh, which is a little less than twice uh, what Mike has. So he's Mike's the effective stack in this hand. Uh, Mike's holding 1010, 10, like I say, getting close to the money bubble, still a bit off. Uh, some more information from Mike. Overall, my image is more tight, aggressive, played maybe one or two hands since this player has arrived at the table. And he sees himself as having three options, fold, call or raise. And those are the three options. So full points already for Mikey. Uh, Those are the, um, we joke about it a lot, but you know, when you, when you think about it, poker is a pretty simple game from that point of view. There's only so many ways you can take it. And then, of course, the question can be how much to raise if you choose to. But, yeah, that's basically the holy trinity of options here. Um, and so the question is, what should we be doing here? Um, so some of the factors that I think we'll be considering as we talk about this hand will be stack depth, uh, proximity to the button and other other stacks at the table or in the tournament as well um, we've got some good responses here uh I'm a Luigi uh put some information in here um Chris Jones Taylor Moss uh a few other people and and then and then there's a whole other series of hands at the bottom of this post that we're not going to get into today but we're just going to focus on this 1010 uh, hand here but again I encourage our listeners do do go check out the forums they're free uh, just go to rectod poker slash forums, and you can see for yourself all these great posts and responses, and uh, maybe you can lend some expertise or ask some questions of your own. So fold, call, or raise. Uh, Before we get too far down the road, I'll just open this up to the crowd. I see Taylor's unmuted first. With 12 and a half big blinds uh, facing what I think is a min open from late position, uh, again, I'll just say that the top 24 get paid, we're 37 left at this point. Taylor, what's going through your head if you were our hero, Mikey Aces, in this spot?
3: Yeah, I think the one thing, uh, maybe you mentioned it, but quickly, but uh, ICM is kind of the the big thing to think about here, right? Because 37 left, 24 uh, make the money. So we should start be starting to be thinking about like, okay, how much ICM pressure is currently on us on our opponents and how much will that play into decision-making? Um, cause, uh, I actually have been in essentially this exact same spot in a tournament on the exact money bubble, which oh. I think is, uh, a really such situ- uh, kind of tricky situation. Um, so it- I'll uh, try and convince everyone to appease me for a second and see what we would do on the exact money bubble of a tournament. But I I think ICM is something we should consider here. Um, But yeah, to me, this is kind of just like a slam dunk spot to just jam. Um, Being in the small blind, we don't really want to call and try and play play this post-flop. And likewise, Tens has kind of like I think it's a term that people use as low visibility uh, if we would play this post flop, especially out of position, Uh, low visibility, meaning like we're not really sure if this is going to hit our opponent's hands or not. Uh, And given we have pocket tens, the only time we really feel comfortable is on a nine high or lower board where we have an overpair if a Jack is on the flop, a queen is on the flop. Uh, we're a little bit unsure, but that doesn't necessarily hit our opponent's exact hand. Uh, so given that we have kind of a hand with low visibility, just, I think it just plays way better as a shove, uh, here. So to me, that's going to be the easy option. I think, uh, Mikey even talks about how he knows this because he's like, Hey, I know it's a GTO play to shove. Uh, it's probably plus EV, Um, but I I think it's at least a good point that he's bringing up and talking through this, uh, which is like, you know, like, Hey, what are all these other factors? You know, he's talking about ICM. uh, He's talking about GTO. He's talking about his opponents and stuff like that. So all the right things to think about, but uh, I think this is always going to kind of end up in the shove category.
0: Yeah, me too. And one of the things that interested me about this hand or this post from Mikey is, as you say, um, you know, Mikey also kind of says this is feels like a pretty slam dunk shove. Uh, but thinking about the different factors that we might consider here and um, how we might find ourselves taking a different action in different circumstances. Uh, yeah, Rob, why don't you jump in there and then we can read a little more. Of the
2: well, I was just going to just going to make a comment about ICM. Um, I recently saw a video put out by GTO Wizard. Um, one of their one of their developers or whatever, one of their analysts there, put out a video where he analyzed how G, how uh, ICM affects the different stages of the tournament, and he discovered that ICM really does impact the tournament. Probably beginning at after the first twenty five percent are gone is where it starts to impact. So ICM is really a factor throughout the whole tournament. Now obviously there's a couple points where it's really impactful and that's at the at the bubble and then at the bubble to the final table. Um, so ICM is definitely a factor. So if ICM is a factor, the one thing that you have for going for you is to be the aggressor and not the caller because as the aggressor, um, in an ICM situation or in a tournament situation at all, you're putting pressure on that other person. So, unless that person happens to wake up and he had aces, kings, or queens, they're going to be a slam dunk call. He could have a tough decision as to whether to call your all in, because even though uh, he's got you covered, you could do a lot of damage to him. So, at 12 and a half big blinds, he's definitely right. Um, the GTO solution is probably to go all in. There's not much else you can do with that many blinds. You don't have any playability post-flop because you don't have a large enough stack. I, um, your SPR is going to be too low to do anything. So at this point in time,
1: you can be aggressive and put the pressure on your opponent. Yeah, Chris? Yeah. One of the other things that you know, I'd add about this post is like um, – I, I see, I see this struggle and I, you know, as somebody who I would say I have had uh, the month from hell with pocket tens this month, like I, like I can relate, right. I can relate. I have, I have busted some very big spots with pocket tens,
0: but aren't they like twice as good as pocket five?
1: No, see, they're twice as, they're, they're twice as bad. They're just, they're, they're, they're like, they're designed to lose money. However, however, one, but but one of the things I want to point out is that there is this sort of like uh, sort of thing that I see a lot of players uh, questioning, and, and and the language here is not sure if I'm overthinking this. I know the GTO play is to shove, and in some cases I'll have good fold equity, other cases I'll be flipping, and lastly I'll be in rough shape some amount of the time. But overall, this is a plus EV play, and so like I get that that's like a factor. That weighs on a lot of people's minds, right? But the the fact is, like we only have 12 big blinds and we're not we're not close enough to the bubble. I, I like Taylor's question, like if we're on the stone bubble. There's a there's a case that we could actually potentially fold this spot, but here we just we have to take these plays. And you're right. Sometimes you're going to run into it. Or sometimes somebody's going to have ace-queen and they're going to call and we're going to flip and you're going to lose. There's going to be ace on the flop. And that's just the way this goes. But we can't sort of look away from those moments. We can't try to avoid them. You can't do much to sort of like, you, you've just got to sort of embrace that part of the game and the only, like, cause otherwise you're just going to, you, you could, you could just wait to get aces or Kings kind of fold down, get, have two or three big blinds. You'll probably make the money probably, but maybe not, but you probably will. But then, you know, you're just playing for that. And you're not, you're, you're never really going to win this tournament. You're not going to like fold down to two big blinds and then be like, okay, now I made the money. Now I'm going to run it up. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's just not going to work that way. Cause you have no fold equity anymore and people are going to call you way wider. So you're just going to get taken out by a lot of hands. So I I see this kind of like struggle and what you're struggling with is that this game is uncertain and that you're going to sometimes run into it and you're sometimes going to shove tens and you're going to walk out of the, the card room, having one, nothing and wondering, did I make a mistake? And no, you didn't. You did the right thing. Rob? And
2: how many how many times have you sat there in a tournament and been totally card dead with nothing to play? So with 12 and a half big blinds, I mean, you're looking down at a premium hand here at 1010. And you, like Chris is saying, if you wait and try to wait for those aces, I always kid people that I'm sitting here waiting for aces because <laughs> I'm folding all the time because <laughs> the cards are so crappy that I've been getting. But that's not really what you're doing. What you're doing is waiting for a playable hand. And you can sit there for two or three levels and not get a playable hand. And so if you have a premium hand like this with only 12 and a half big blinds, you only have one choice, and that's to jam them in the middle and put the pressure on your opponents. Yeah, there's Uh, a great... uh, Sorry, Taylor, please. Yeah, yeah,
3: just to uh, feed off of that, because I think Rob is talking about a lot of good things. You know, you're waiting for the right cards. Uh, but you're also waiting for the right spots. And honestly, this is a good spot, right? Someone in relatively later position, not, not early position, uh, opens up to the minimum. Uh, you get folds to you in the blinds. Uh, so you're only worried. There's only two other people left in the hand now: a big blind who hasn't acted yet, uh, and the original opener. Uh, and you get a spot to rejam on them. Uh, it's going to be a lot better and more profitable in other situations instead of you just like open jamming. Because uh, now you could potentially win the two big blinds from the open and the two big blinds that are sitting in the pot from the big blind and the ante. So you could go up plus four big blinds in this hand in a spot that should work out in your favor a good amount of the time. Like Our opponent's probably going to be folding 60-plus percent of the time, maybe 70% of the time. Uh, so that percent of the time, we just profit four big blinds. And that's awesome. Like you just increase your stack a third. Like you want those like types of spots. So this is a premium spot to be in because Rob's talking a lot about being card dead. Sometimes you can be spot dead. Sometimes you could get into this position and like there's an action and then a three bet in front of you. And then you look down at Ace 10 offsuit and you're like, well, this is the best hand I've had in forever, but not versus a raise and a three bet. Like I can't get in there now. Uh, but here's a spot for you to re-jam and take this down a good portion of the time.
0: I like that. There's a great comment in here from uh, Louis Hillman. Uh, I'm a Luigi. Um, Louis has been a friend of the RecPoker community for a long time, an active poster in the forums. He's really active on Twitter, too, has a lot of fun there, and also likes a great band called Dispatch that I'm also pretty fond of. So <laughs> uh, Louis has just got great taste all over the place. Uh, he says, here it's a slam dunk with 12 big blinds and still 13 from the money. Um, I do think if we're three from the money at the stack depth, our decision's much more interesting. Um, the point that he makes here that I really like is that keep in mind that a double on the bubble. So assuming like in, in, the, in the hypothetical where we're closer to the bubble than 13 seats. Uh, doubling up still puts us at or below the average stack. So how much EV do we really gain from winning uh, four big blinds at that point as opposed to uh, bailing out? So like what's the upside versus compared to the downside from an ICM consideration? That's something that I don't think enough people think about. Um, You should be uh, thinking, there's just so many different factors here. So let's tease this out a little bit. Chris, did you want to add something before we talk about being closer to the bubble?
1: Just the other the other thing I just kind of want to emphasize the fact that we are going to lose sometimes because I think that's that's yes. the part of this and like you know I I know I already said this but like when I see a post like this I don't I we're given the results and spoiler alert our hero does lose this hand right but I didn't even have to know that I I knew that that's what happened just by the fact that somebody's posting this kind of thing yeah. and just because you jam here with tens doesn't mean you're going to win every time but that's okay that's that's just fine. Uh, you know, like sometimes we're going to lose this. And so I, I just like it's it's you're going to lose sometimes and that's OK. You're going to lose if you do this with aces sometimes. Like right. And that's OK.
0: Yeah. Also, if you're interested in playing tournament, especially multi-table tournament poker, get used to losing, kids. You're going to lose a lot. Uh, even the best players in the world, they only cash 20 percent of the time, you know, 80 percent of the time. They're going home with nothing doesn't matter how close to the bubble it was, (laughs) just like you and me, they're going home with nothing 80% of the time. So, um, and and whether it's with a bad deed or a mistake, losing is a big part of poker. And that's why it's kind of a great way to think about life, too, because it's not fair. It's it's not something you're not entitled to winning with the best hand. Um, Thank God for players like me. Um, It's just, it's, you're going to lose. You're going to lose. Uh, So. Let's talk about if this was closer to the bubble. Um, I think I still probably don't like this as a call based off a 12. Point, a 12 big blind stack uh, out of position eat closer to the bubble you should even be less cally and more foldy or shovey. Um so I think that would the only question would be how nitty do we have to be to the point of maybe folding here what do you guys think about that
3: yeah and that's where i was hoping to turn this because like i said i've had this happen before i was on the exact uh well it's technically the day one break we need one more person Mm. to break in the day to make the second day and then the second day was going to be essentially in the money um but I had this spot come up. I had 15 big blinds, had uh, a chip leader opening the cutoff, and I was on the button with tens. Uh, and I took the jam spot. Um, I thought about it for a while and thought about it on my way home after I busted out uh, <laughs> taking the jam spot. But um, in all that thinking, I still think it was the right, just given like how much of a premium tens is, and then also just the ICM factors. Like Rob talked about um, – uh, you want to be the one shoving. You want to be the one taking the aggressive action. Totally agree with all that. Like 15 bags with a two big blind open in front of you. I don't want to call with tens. I want to just put the money in and run mm. the cards, but interested. Does anyone else uh, do differently on the exact money bubble with tens?
1: To me, I I mean, I love that spot. Like if I'm going to fold tens in this spot on the, on the bubble, it's going to be to, Uh, likely not the chip leader, especially if the chip leader is being like the table bully in this high ICM pressure time, because that is the best player to shove on uh, because they're going to have the widest range. If somebody kind of opens up in front of me and it's like in this spot where they're like, they're not, they don't have a commanding lead. They've just got me slightly covered. And they've opened and I've got tens and it's on the stone bubble. I'm probably folding tens, but in the spot you just described, I'm also probably just being like, this is too good a spot and they can have so much stuff that they're going to fold here. I'm just going to get it in. Um, But I do think we can find folds with tens here. I mean, I think we can find folds with jacks here Um, because it's just, it's uh, it's, it's hard when, when we're in these spots and like we, we, we can when we're on that point we're not going to have to blind down to two big blinds right we can make a couple more folds depending on how big this tournament is and we can likely just get ourselves into the money and pick our next spot to get our chips in the middle um and you know so i i i probably in those cases i I probably would be folding tens
2: i was going to say you almost play it like a like a satellite at that point if you're that close to the money bowl um But I like what Chris said about the spot. And it's also the player. I mean, if the players at your table are ICM aware Mm. um, and the chip leader understands it, then he's going to be opening really wide because he knows that people are going to have to have a premium hand to continue based on the (laughs) ICM pressure. But if it's a smaller tournament at a place like Canterbury Running Aces, you're going to have a lot of people that are not ICM aware and they're going to play it as a chip EV spot. So if you're up against those types of players, you need to understand where they're coming from and then maybe be a little more careful about using ICM as a weapon.
0: Yeah, one thing that I don't think has been mentioned yet, the other factor that I'd consider is this other stacks at the table or the other stacks in the tournament. If we're down to 37, there's only a few tables left. You can kind of look around a little bit. If you've got 12 big blinds and you are the lowest stack in the tournament, then it's different than if you've got 12 big blinds, but there's like four players out there with three or four or five big blinds. Um, if If there's players out there with really short stacks, it definitely incentivizes you to just fold close to the bubble, pick a better spot. Um, Don't challenge anyone who's got you covered and just let those shorter players uh, get eliminated through the natural laws of poker (laughs) over time. uh, The short stacks will get eliminated Um, and you can kind of cruise into the money that way and then and then start playing more aggressively again, um, depending. The other thing that I wanted to mention that has been mentioned here, but I want to reinforce this is that 13 players from the bubble. If you're playing in a tournament with like a couple thousand players, then thirteen to the bubble is close to the bubble. But for most of the player, most of the tournaments that we're going to be playing in, thirteen to the bubble is an eternity. Um, and while Rob makes a great point about ICM being a factor uh, at this point, it wouldn't be particularly heavy a factor. It wouldn't be something that I was that I'd be weighing a great deal um, just because you still need a third of the field of a third of the existing field has to uh, bust before the bubble, the bubble comes around. And that's just um, in absolute numbers. It, it feels like it's close to the bubble because you started with 226 entries and you're down to 37 and like tables are collapsing and you're going to be down at four tables soon. And it's a pretty exciting part of the tournament, but when it comes to ICM, you're still just a ways off and I wouldn't feel bad about busting here with pocket tens, uh 13 off the money. And I hope Mikey and I I really like the way Mikey's approached this comment. He's he's thinking about the right things, he's weighing the right factors. Um we all overthink these car ride home hands, right? Uh even though we think we did everything right. Like I say, that's just that's just a part of poker. And um uh I think I think you handled it I think you handled it really well here, Mikey. So Um, Thank you very much for your post. I'm sure you've got uh, a bright future in other tournaments that you're going to be playing. I hope you post more. Um, I do see you've got some more hands here at the bottom. We don't have time to talk about those tonight, but keep posting in the forums, Mikey, and uh, keep playing in the home games. And uh, I I look forward to finding another post from you that we can talk about here on the air. Um, Anything else, folks, that we should talk about here? Is there any other counterfactuals we want to find some rabbit holes to go wandering down? All right. Well, then. I just want to thank Mikey. I want to thank Chris and Rob and Taylor. Um, I want to thank the Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino. And I want to thank you, the listeners. We couldn't do it without you. So thanks for all your support and have a great week.